tonight, we're in Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 4. I know uh, for some of us, it's really cold in here, and we had some air conditioning issues that uh, just precluded that we had to set things at a particular temperature, and so um, snuggle next to the person that is next to you, as long as they're your husband, your wife. (laughs) Your husband's not, yeah, he is. Jesus is present, Sonia. (laughs) All right, Mark chapter 4 tonight. And uh, I am going to go ahead and uh, read verse 1. We're going to pray. And again, he began to teach by the sea. This is the, I think the mic is a little hot, if you could tone it back just a bit. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Father, thank you so much for your word tonight and for the life of Jesus, your son. There is so much for us to glean from these verses, and we pray tonight as we are going to study this later on that we truly would have hearts that are open and ready to receive the implanted word, God, with meekness and humility. And Father, maybe maybe it's just um, our predisposition to believe that that's always the case for us, but we do just want to ask that you would reveal to us how open we truly are. Sometimes, oh God, you know that there are areas of our lives that just remain closed off to you and and that we don't really give you the permission to speak into and we don't want that, God. We, We pray that you would show us those closed doors and help us as we're compelled by your love and your grace and your mercy to just open up our whole hearts to you, that we truly might be wholehearted in our pursuit of you, and that even tonight those areas that have been untouched would receive a healing touch. Uh, God would receive, those dark areas would receive the light of your word. Those areas of, um, that have been obscured and clouded and filled with confusion even, Oh God, you would give guidance and wisdom and we ask tonight that as you've led us in worship, you would now lead us in the study of your word and that as we leave this place, we would be more like your son. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Amen. So I think it's an amazing uh, kind of prelude to what Jesus is gonna be speaking here in this gospel account is where Entering into really uh, the teaching on the parables, some of you are familiar with the parables, some of you are not familiar with the parables, but it really was a, a spectacular scene. You know, he had been doing signs and wonders. Mark, of course, is a very fast-paced, aggressive gospel account and is filled with action. Like I've said to you, if this was kind of put in the genre of different movies, uh, you know, like you go to Netflix or you go to iTunes and, you know, you're searching for a movie, so you pick the genre and it's got action, adventure, drama, romance, comedy. Uh, this for sure as a gospel account would fit in action and adventure. Uh, this is just the way that it's written. And so, you know, it's certainly been, and I know that you uh, would say that this is true, it's been spectacular. Um, and, and I would say to you that as we step into some you know, I would say long teachings of Jesus, you might even call them like a monologue, Uh, they're just as spectacular. 
We sometimes as humans are drawn to the spectacular, so we want the experience, we want the signs and wonders, we want the extraordinary. Uh, we're looking for something out of the ordinary to happen. And remember that everything, quote unquote, extraordinary that he did in the sense of signs, miracles, and wonders, and all of those are unique, and I'm not gonna go into that tonight, but we'll talk about that later. All of those, all of those things were really directed to leading people. They were purposed to lead people to the teaching of the word of God. So I'm saying to you tonight that the teaching of God's word is just as spectacular, if not even more spectacular, than the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he did. And this is a spectacular picture, right? I mean, here he is. He's by the Sea of Galilee. As we've read in the gospel according to Mark, there were signs and wonders that were done that were so extraordinary, it would seem that if people just were able to get to him physically and touch him, then they would experience a healing or some you know, miraculous outpouring of the power of God in their life. So it's no wonder that as we read this first verse, we have this picture of Jesus teaching the multitudes by the sea. And when the Bible says multitudes, uh, you know, we're not necessarily sure in this particular circumstance how many people that is. But you know there were times where there were literally, literally tens of thousands of people that had gathered to hear Jesus and see the things that he did. For instance, in the... Um, Feeding of the 5,000, we know there were 5,000 men, not, not including women and children. And so, as the Bible says multitudes, we're probably not talking about just a couple of, couple of hundred of people. We're probably talking thousands of individuals. And they were pressing in, right? I mean, behind him, he's got the sea. In front of, me, he, in front of him, he has the multitude. And many of them were sick and they wanted healing, and the thought in their mind was if I could just touch him, I would be healed. And so this great multitude began to press in around him to the extent that if he was going to continue his teaching, well, he needed to do something different. So what did he do? Well, like we've seen him do before, he got in a boat and you know, put out a little way from the sea and he began to teach. He sat down. And of course, you know, because your Bible students, that this was the typical position of a teacher uh, when the teacher, when the rabbi was teaching. The teacher would sit and the, the people gathered who were listening would stand. I thought we'd try that tonight, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit for the next 45 minutes and you guys get to stand for 45 minutes. I, I think we should go back to that. This, it's in the Bible, right? So it's biblical. We're gonna reintroduce that and we're reintroducing a holy kiss at the, uh, no, we're not doing that. We're for sure not doing that. <clears throat> so, so the Bible goes on and says in verse two, then he taught them by, he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. He taught them many things by parables. Uh, some of you are familiar with the concept of a parable. I'm, I'm gonna explain kind of, you know, in detail what a parable is so those of you who don't know can understand. But let me just say before I say anything else, oftentimes there's a lot of misconception concerning parables. There are some people who say, well, you know, Jesus taught in parable, parables because he wanted to conceal the truth or he wanted to hide the truth or he wanted to present it in a way um, where, you know, a good percentage or portion of the people would be 
unable to understand what it was that he was saying. And there are certain things that we'll talk about tonight in later verses that lead people to this erroneous conclusion. And it is erroneous because you know it is the heart of God that all should come to repentance. It is never the desire of God uh, to just intentionally or arbitrarily conceal or uh, to hide truth from people who need to put their trust and faith in his son. And so that, of course, is a misconception. But what is a parable? And simply put, a parable is an earthly example that illustrates one single heavenly point, right? That if you get nothing else out of the discussion on parables, please at least get this. It is an earthly illustration, an earthly example um, that helps people understand for sure, at least one single heavenly point. Um, you're helping people understand a heavenly principle by using earthly recognizable terms or stories. Uh, if you're into geometry, you know when you talk about uh, something that's parabolic, there is a parabolic curve that starts you know, down here, makes its way up to an apex, to a point, and then descends again. And if you just kind of picture a parable like that, that's exactly what it is. It's using these earthly terms or stories to illustrate, to bring to light, to bring to human understanding in simple, um, understandable ways, one single heavenly point. And for the parables, of course, all of this was typically oriented around the kingdom of God. Now, you're going to notice as we read through the stories um, about the teaching of these particular parables, that there were some who understood. You know, there were some, and, and, and even, I think, as we read the parables, there are some that just absolutely altogether make sense. And so sometimes you recognize that uh, the disciples and the multitudes understood them. On the other hand, uh, there are often times where you recognize they seemed to be difficult to understand. In fact, today we're going to be talking about a parable that the disciples had such a difficult time understanding. They came to Jesus privately after he had taught the multitudes and asked him to explain it to them. And then on the other hand, you had times where uh, those who were uh, unbelieving and kind of, you know, arrayed against or assembled against Jesus, when they heard the parable, sometimes they didn't understand, and then sometimes they did for example, with the Pharisees, there were per particular parables that were designed for the Pharisees to reveal the hardness of their heart and their unbelief concerning the Son of Man that ultimately they got because it was very clear and it was convicting to them to the extent where they even became aggressive against Jesus. So Jesus is just going to take uh, terms uh, and things that these people were familiar with, and he's going to use them to create a story, uh, like I said, to illustrate one single heavenly point. We're going to see tonight that this particular parable is oriented around uh, agriculture, and in fact, a good portion of the parables really are agriculture in, na in nature. They're, they're stories about agriculture, and this was an agricultural society at the time. So when you're talking about fields and you're talking about seeds and you're talking about a sower and you're talking about plants growing, of course, everyone was familiar with this because this was really what the communities and the societies were based upon. Uh, maybe 50 years ago, a more appropriate 
uh, tool to have used would have been something that was oriented around industry because, you know, for a couple of hundred years, it's been, uh, we've been in the industrial age. Probably today, if we were going to speak in terms uh, that people are really super familiar with, uh, we would probably leverage technology because we're in the technological age. And sometimes you know we do this. We'll be talking about a biblical principle and then we'll use our iPhones or some other aspect of technology to kind of illustrate a biblical point or a heavenly point. And so um, this really was the effort that Jesus was undertaking when he used parables to teach. He says this, the Bible says in verse two, let me just reread that. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold a sower went to sow. Now, um, this is interesting to me. It may not be interesting to you. I don't really care because I'm teaching tonight. I'm standing, you're sitting. And so uh, this is the only time that Jesus uses this word when he addresses people that he's teaching. Um, another time he says, hear me, but it's, it's just a unique moment, and I think that what it's expressing is this. You'll notice that there's an exclamation point, which means in the Greek, it's in the imperative. Uh, and so he was, really, he was really seeking to gain people's attention. Everything he was going to say was absolutely significant, and he wanted to make sure the people were paying attention. Um, I like this because... I like this because sometimes as a teacher, you know, we, we use terminology like this. We, we'll say, hey, listen, or are you following me? Um, or does that make sense? And as teachers, we're just really making sure that all y'all out there are not uh, on your phones, checking your text messages, or rolling through your social media, but you're really engaged in what it is that God is saying. And so can I say to you today, listen? Okay, great. Behold, the sower went to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no crop. But on the other hand... Seed fell on good ground. So you, you, you just notice the progression here, right? I mean, he's talking about seed being planted uh, in a particular way that really doesn't fulfill the purpose of the planting of seed until he gets to this fourth example. He says, but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some 30-fold, some 60 and some a hundred. So, you know, like, it's, it's story time, right? It's story time. He lays this story out, and then he punctuates the story with this statement that I think if people weren't prepared for parabolic teaching, it would have been kind of interesting to hear. He says to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he starts off by saying, listen, he gets their attention, only time that he says it, and then he tells a story 
about this guy, this farmer, and he paints this picture that they, they would have all been familiar with, right? I mean, whether they were farmers or not, they were fully accustomed to the picture of someone who was farming, someone who was sowing seed with a bag of seed by his side, walking along the ground, the field, that he was farming, that he had tilled, the soil that had been prepared, the furrows that had been plowed, and then not just the furrows that had been plowed, but all of the land that the tilled soil was framed in, you know, the normal paths, the sidewalks that had been walked on. It's all familiar to them, right? And so he tells the story that gives this picture of this guy who's casting this seed, of course, with the expectation that the seed that is planted is ultimately going to bear fruit. As he cast the seed, um, and they would have been familiar with this, some of the seed fell on the, the wayside, that, that hardened ground. Some of it fell in uh, soil that was shallow. Some of it fell on soil that was good soil and over the course of time, because these are the laws of nature that God has established. You guys know there's physical laws and there's spiritual laws that God has established. And they're incontrovertible laws. They're decrees of God. This is just the way it is. By the way, that's important for me to say because this story in a physical sense represents something that's happening in a spiritual sense. And so the laws that, that someone would expect to be fulfilled, the God-created laws that someone would expect to be fulfilled in a physical sense, Jesus is saying in a one-to-one -one correlation, the same thing happens spiritually. And so there are, are times where there's some seed that's planted in good soil and then over the course of time, if the farmer's not careful, what happens is, well, thorns grow and weeds grow and pretty soon, you know, that plant that was just about to bear fruit ends up being choked out because there's competition for the nutrients that come from the soil. And then on the other hand, finally, um, you know, for like percentage-wise, one seed out of four falls on good soil, and that good soil is cared for, it's tended, uh, that gentle, tender plant that's growing up is protected and nurtured, and ultimately uh, that seed does what God intended it to do. It bears forth fruit, some of it 30, some of it 60, and some of it 100. And so everyone's like, I, I would say, like, you're there that day, you're listening to this. Jesus has said, listen, listen up, pay attention. You really want the physical miracle, but he's launched into a teaching. He tells the story, and you're, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. That makes sense. I, I totally know what that's about. And then he drops the, he, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and probably you're thinking, well, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? You just told a story, of course, like I get the story. I don't know what your point was in telling the story, but, um, but I understand the story. And when he says this, what he's saying is there's something deeper in this story for you to understand. There is a deeper spiritual meaning for you to glean, to gather, to be paying attention to. You know, it is interesting, I think, that when Jesus is, is dictating the letters to the seven churches, of course you know, this is how he wraps up each of those letters. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? 
He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so as he wraps this up, clearly there was an expectation that there would be a spiritual takeaway that these people would be harvesting uh, into their own hearts. Well, you know, his select crew, you guys with me? That was one of those times. His select crew, you know, the the A-team, didn't get it. And so in verse 10, the Bible says, but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And so, you know, as you go and you read Matthew's account, uh, because this, uh, this is also contained in Matthew chapter 13. This is how all of the parables in Matthew chapter 13 uh, begin. The disciples are, are literally saying to him, hey, listen, you know, we didn't really understand what that whole deal was with the story about the sower. Can you explain it to me? They just didn't get it. They didn't understand. Um, what I appreciate about the disciples was they were smart enough to ask. They were smart enough to ask. You know, sometimes we look at the disciples and, and we see them down the road. We kind of see mostly the finished product and we think, man, those, those guys just, they had it. They were awesome. They were always on point. They had it together. They had it nailed down, you know. I mean, and you look at your own life and you're thinking, man, why am I such a loser? Why am I not like, why am I not like the disciples? Why am I not further along in my walk? You know, what is my problem? And you know, sometimes we use this terminology, we use this phraseology in the church. We look at people and we think, and we say, man, that spiritual giant and that spiritual giant and they're all the way up here and I'm all the way down here. And we see things in those terms and you know, it's, it's stories like this that remind us, no, they were on a journey too. They were on a journey too and they had their own struggles as well. And there were times that Jesus said things, think about this, they walked with the Lord. You know, I mean, they walked with the Lord and they had him dwelling in their midst. And still, still there were things that they just didn't understand. I know the argument tonight could be, well, they weren't indwelt by the Spirit of God yet. And Jesus said that the Spirit of God would lead them and guide them in all truth. And I understand that. Um, But they had Christ with them. And you know, I'm sure there were times in their lives, even after this, where, you know, they were on a journey on trying to understand what it was in the most complete sense that the Word of God meant and said. And I'm saying this to you tonight because sometimes we hit portions of Scripture that we just don't understand. You know, we struggle ourselves. You know, we, we, we read something and we're like, man, I didn't get that at all. Like, what, what's my problem? How come I don't understand it? And the devil is there all the time to discourage us so much that we just stop reading the Bible because we don't get something. And so I want to encourage you, and this is one of the questions we're going to deal with tonight. When you get to something that you don't understand, first of all, recognize that you're in good company. You're in good company. There are a lot of things in the Bible that I don't understand. And there are certain things in the scripture that I really don't think I'm ever going to understand until I'm with the Lord. And then I'm gonna be able to to ask him to explain it to me. I mean, I think that that's gonna be an amazing, amazing day, amazing opportunity. I think also, don't forget that you need to be bold enough to ask the question to him in your devotional time. Right, because this is what we're looking for the Lord to do. He is, the Spirit is the one who teaches us. And so it's okay to not pretend like you know everything. Right, sometimes as Christians, I think we've got this, we've got this thing 
and we feel like we have to have all the answers, um, it's okay not to have all the answers. Better to acknowledge that to, to people than to say something stupid or wrong. Like you might be in the workplace and someone turns to you and says, hey, you know what, you're, you're Bible answer woman, you know all these things, you read your Bible all the time, what does the Bible mean when it says this? And if you don't know, it's okay to say, hey, that's a really good question. That's a really good question, I don't totally know. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna study, I'm gonna get the answer, and then I'm gonna come back and tell you what the answer is. As opposed to saying something that's totally wrong, or just absolutely stupid. You guys understand what I'm talking about, right? And so, so the, the 12 come and um, they ask him to help them understand. And he says this, to you has been given to know, verse 11, the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing Excuse me, they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. So he draws a distinction and he says, you know, you have the privileged opportunity, you have the special opportunity to have the mystery of the kingdom of God disclosed to you. However, those who are on the outside, those who are unbelieving, on the other hand, these things are going to be difficult for them to understand. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter six, verse nine and verse 10. And this particular story uh, is about Isaiah being in the throne room of God. And you remember, he saw that glorious revelation of God the throne of God, uh, the seraphim around the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then, of course, you remember that God said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And then God launches into this statement, and this is a piece of the statement that he gives to Isaiah. When you read just this verse, it almost seems, right? You just read the verse and it almost seems like Jesus is saying that the purpose of the parables is to confuse God's truth to the unbelieving. It, it almost reads as if his purpose is to hide or to conceal truth. And that's not the case. In fact, I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 13 because in Matthew chapter 13, uh, another portion of this scripture from Isaiah is quoted by Jesus. Same story, same moment, um, just a little more included in Matthew's account because you remember Mark was all about um, moving as fast as he could. Verse 14 in chapter 13 says this, uh, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Why? For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, so, oh, and, and their eyes have closed, so. That's really what lest means. It means so, or in light of that, so that they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts, so that they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should Heal them. So what Jesus is saying really is this, 
the issue that is withholding the capacity for these individuals to really receive the truth of God is not that God is trying to conceal it from them. It's their own heart. It's a heart condition. The hearts of the people have grown dull. He's talking about religious Jews who are going to temple on a consistent basis or a synagogue, and they're hearing the teaching that's coming from the rabbis. And yet, even though they're present, even though they're sitting in the seats, even, they're, even though they're going to festivals continually, they are getting nothing out of the expression of God's word, not because the teacher wasn't teaching and not because God's word wasn't powerful, but because their hearts had become dull. It was a heart issue. It was a heart problem. In fact, knowing that, I think the explanation or the interpretation of this parable becomes all the more clear. Let me just say to you, it is always the desire of God for people to come to the knowledge of their sin, to confess, to repent, and to turn to God in faith. It is always the desire of God. I pray that you don't give up on people. You know, for those really, really difficult, challenging people in your life who may be so far gone, listen, maybe they're so morally and ethically, they're so far gone, you almost have the tendency to think, man, this person's never, this person's never, there's no possible way. Like their life is so messed up. They are so far on the other side of what God wants and you know, the tendency sometimes if we view people with the eyes of the flesh is to write them off. And I just want to remind us tonight that God doesn't write anyone off. He didn't write me off. He didn't write me off. He didn't write you off. And listen, if he didn't write us off, then he's not writing off the people in your circle of influence Remember that God's desire is always for people to come to repentance, but as someone once said, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The sun in all of its properties is always powerful and good, but listen, depending upon the substance that it hits, the reaction can be significantly different. You know, if our hearts are tender towards God, this is all I'm saying, that the light of God, when it hits our hearts, will melt us. If we're living in unbelief and resistance towards God, we will become more and more hardened against him. The word of God reveals either a hungry heart that is humble towards God, or the word of God will reveal a hardened heart that is prideful towards God, that is desiring to live in unbelief. And fundamentally, that's what Jesus was dealing with. He was dealing with people who were fitting into one of two categories, either those who were willing to believe or those who were willing to be unbelieving. Now, we're going to get into the explanation of uh, the, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils or the parable of the hearts. But I just want to, I just before we launch into this, I just want to say, a couple of more things about parables. Don't overinterpret parables, all right? Don't overinterpret them. Sometimes the explanation or the interpretation is given, and when it's given, don't exceed the parameters that 
that Christ lays out. Sometimes what I see is people are like, they look at a parable and all of a sudden they want to come to all these deep theological conclusions based on what a parable says. And that is not the purpose of a parable. You don't develop your biblical doctrine off of a parable. I want to encourage you to, to use the KISS method when it comes to interpreting parables. And the KISS method is simply this. Keep it simple, stupid, all right? Just keep it simple. I'm not calling you stupid tonight. Someone just got mad at me. But I'm just encouraging you. Keep it simple. Don't complicate it. Don't read into it. The minute you start reading into parables and then using them to maybe justify your theological predispositions is the minute you're going to get yourself into trouble. And so he says this. He says to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, I don't know how you hear that. Some people, you know, it, we hear the voice of Jesus in varying ways. Someone hear, some would hear that in a critical way, like, really, 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 you losers? You've been hanging with me for so long, I'm so disappointed. I am so disappointed in you, and I really do not think that that is the tone of Jesus' voice to his disciples. I think it's like, I think it's, I think it's nurturing, you know? I think that he is speaking in a way where he is acknowledging a deficiency and he is going to help them grow through it because you know that's what he does. And then in addition to that, he emphasizes how important the parable of the, the sower is. How then will you understand all the parables? And so, so let me just say this. This particular parable sits head and shoulders above all of the other parables. In fact, you could call this a key parable that unlocks all of the other parables to the extent where Jesus says, if you don't understand this one, you're not gonna understand any of them, and so maybe it was even a greater incentive for him to give them the explanation. I mentioned to you that this is sometimes called the parable of the sower. How many of you have a study Bible that says parable of the sower over this section? All right. Um, it could also be called the parable of the soils. How many of you guys have a parable of the soils? All right, well, no one does. That's, that's good, I guess. I don't know. Um, or the parable of the hearts. I think that, really, this is a parable concerning hearts, or so you might more accurately say the parable of the, of the soils. This particular parable, as we read the explanation tonight, is going to give us a description concerning how we receive the word of God. That's really what the point of the parable is. Some people look at this parable in its uh, explanation and say, well, this is really all about evangelism, you know? I mean, one, they'll go as far as to say, you know, when someone's preaching the gospel and the, the truth of Jesus is being heralded to the unbelieving person, one out of every four person will, persons will get saved, right? I mean, one seed out of all the four seeds actually took and bore fruit. That is definitely not what's being conveyed here. You can't draw some uh, percentage of people getting saved off of this particular parable. That would be over or excessive interpretation. What he is saying is um, this expresses how we receive the word of God. You're going to notice two things tonight. You're going to notice the responsibility of God, and you're also going to notice the responsibility 
of humanity. Someone said this, a commentator said this, concerning both of those two things. Parables uniquely preserved people's freedom to believe while demonstrating that such a decision is affected by God's enabling. And I, I like that. I like that because it ties the two together. We can't deny uh, the importance of the sovereignty of God and the working of God's spirit to enlighten our understanding, to understand the word of God. But then on the other hand, we also can't deny the reality that each of us holds within our own capacity the ability to either be believing or to be unbelieving. The, the ability to either receive God's word or to reject it. The soils that are mentioned here represent, like I said, the heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, we're talking about the seed of the will. We're talking about the center of our affections and our desires. And, and not only is this not just oriented towards evangelism, but I would say at any time the word of God is being shared, this is happening real time. This particular parable is in fact happening real time. So tonight, as I have the opportunity to, in a sense, be the sower of the seed, we'll talk about what the seed is in just a minute, as I have the opportunity to do that, the reality is as it goes out to your hearts, as it goes out to your hearts, you're going to respond in one of four ways. I love this parable because it gives us a very clear picture of what is happening every time the word of God is either being taught, preached, or shared. And so he, he says this, the sower sows the word. Uh, we know from Matthew's account that the sower is the son of man. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to bring the kingdom of God into the hearts of men and women. And so in this particular moment, the sower, of course, was the son of man. It was Jesus. But in today's terms, the sower can be anyone who is, in fact, sharing God's word. And that's what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the Bible. Every verse in the Bible is like a seed. And from this verse alone, what we understand is that Jesus fulfills his mission through the power of the word of God. Jesus fulfills his mission by the power of the word of God. Maybe you don't realize the impact of the power of God's word in your life, but I want you to think about it in biblical terms. Peter is talking about uh, those who have been born again those he's writing to in his first epistle, and he says this, how were they born again? Well, he says this, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You sit here tonight, you're born again. How many people are born again this evening? Just raise your hand. All right, well, that's good. Praise the Lord for that. Give God a hallelujah, amen. <laughs> that's good. All right, it was the incorruptible, it was the, the power of the incorruptible word of God, right? It was preached, it was heralded, it was declared to you. And as that seed, guided by the spirit of God and infused with his dynamic power, settled into your heart, there was something dynamic and extravagant that happened. You were born again into God's kingdom. Look, you, don't, you, you can't be born again without that seed being conveyed to you. You don't, just, you don't just arbitrarily or automatically wake up one day and just become born again. 
Something has to happen. That, that word has to be shared with you. And when the word is shared with you in a way where you receive it and believe, something powerful happens. Now, as a Christian, we're reminded of what James says. He says to those he was writing to, he says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so he goes on to say, talking about the power and the influence of the word of God, which is like a seed, he is saying every time it's shared, every time the book is open, every time there's a teaching, whether you're listening, he's not saying this, but I'll like use like common current day terminology parabolically for you in this technological age that we're living in. You know, you're, you're surfing through uh, Spotify, you hit a podcast, it's a Bible teacher, you're listening. There are seeds of God's word that are flying across those Bluetooth airwaves. And as they do, they penetrate into your ears, but just because they're getting into your ears does not mean that they're getting into your heart. And so what he's saying is when that happens, and that the seed of God's word gets to the seed of your will, the center of your affections and desires right here, because it's, it's gotta go through here, it's gotta go through the intellect, but it has to also connect to the heart because we don't just have an intellectual relationship with God that is based on data that we know about him. The word of God has got to get to the center or to the, to the seed of our will. When it does, James says, receive it. Receive that implanted word with meekness. What does that mean? That means humility. It means uh, in a way where we're not resisting. The picture I have in my mind, and you know, when I was in college, I had a plot of property because I was a really poor college student that was working on staff for the college at UC Irvine. I had a little 10 by 10 square area, and um, I would farm my own vegetables. And I would take a seed and I would, you know, I'd make sure my rows were furrowed, the water uh, had really saturated the soil. It was, you know, I had all the nutrients it needed. I'd take the seed and I would press it down into the soil, right? I'd press it down. And I think that that's what James is saying. Receive it. Like God has the seed of his word on the tip of his finger and he wants to press it down into your heart. Receive that word with humility. Can you say amen to that tonight? So by the preaching, we know the seed is scattered by the preaching of God's word. So in a physical sense, the farmer sows the seed, ultimately so that there's a harvest of crops. In a spiritual sense, Jesus uh, or a Bible teacher, preacher, or you're reading, it's the spirit of God, right, is sowing seed into the hearts of the unbelieving person so that there's a harvest of souls, but also into the believing person so that there's growth and development and maturity in the relationship with God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God but uh, as the story rolls out there are different ways that we receive the seed he says in verse 15 verse 14 the sower sows the word and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown when they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown into their hearts and so he makes a, a singular correlation Back to the initial story, and the, and, and the way the story went was this. It happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Well, what was he saying? He was saying this. He was saying that that, that wayside is like a heart that is hardened. It's like soil that is as hard as caliche. You know what caliche is. 
Like you, you, I mean, even with a pickaxe, it is just so hard. It's like concrete. It's hard pan. It's bedrock. It's trodden soil. And it is so hard that the seed can't even penetrate. It can't penetrate. Why is that soil so hard? Well, listen, it might be intellectualism, right? I mean, here you are, you're sitting, you're listening, your arms are crossed, and there are all of these intellectual reasons why you're just too superior to receive the word of God by faith. You're just smarter than God. You're smarter than God. And because you're smarter than God, your heart is hardened. And there's no way for the seed of God's word to impact or to penetrate your heart. Maybe it's just not intellectualism. Maybe there's, there's sin in your life. Maybe there's a thing in your life that you are so caught up in and that you love so much and you're so unwilling to yield that as God is speaking to you, that seed drops on that part of your heart and, and because you are so absolutely unwilling to yield by God, there, yield to God, there the seed sits. Um, of course, this is all pride, but maybe, maybe it's just straight up pride. Maybe, you know, just from a human perspective, you're just too good to condescend and to humble yourself because you just think that all Christians view God like he's a crutch. And I would just say to you, God is my crutch and God is my wheelchair and God is my gurney and, and my whole life is fully rested on him and I'm unashamed to say that today. But because the heart is so hardened, like that seed that was sown by the wayside, it just sits there and, and the bird comes and snatches it away. And of course, Jesus says, the bird is the adversary, it's the devil. What does this convey to us? Well, the last thing that the devil wants in your life and in my life is that we would respond to God's word. Please know today that there's not just a responsibility for us to tend the soil of our heart so that we're receptive to God's word, but there also is an adversary who wants to keep us from experiencing all that God desires for us. Verse 16, these, he's talking about the second type of soil, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. That was you know, when Jesus was talking about, in a physical sense, uh, seed sown on stony ground. So there's a little bit of soil. Oftentimes, when there's that hard bedrock underneath that soil, that soil is really rich. It's got a lot of nutrients in it. And so there's immediate fruit. If you're a farmer, you're looking at that and you're thinking, man, that's awesome. It sprang up so quickly. But because there's no place for the roots to go down deep, when the sun rises, it's scorched because it's not drawing its, its nutrients from the depth of the soil. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, that's like when the seed of God's word is sown into a heart that has no depth to it. There's been a shallow emotional response to the word of God. Like you're excited you're excited about what God is saying. Maybe there's a, some sense of conviction, but there's really no depth because it's, it's all emotion. Now, let me just say to you, emotions aren't bad. 
I think we went through an era in the church where it was almost as if the message that was being conveyed was that if we are emotional in our relationship with God, that that's not a good thing. And I will just tell you right now that that statement is not a good thing. Because if you don't have emotions in your relationship with God, something is missing from your relationship with God. Like, I love my wife. If I was emotionless in my relationship with my wife, I'll tell you, I'd be in trouble, all right? I mean, it would just not be good. We're made in the image of God. Emotions are a response or um, are part of that. But emotionalism is not what God desires for us in our approach to him because it creates shallow Christians, right? There might be a, a moment where we respond, but it can't be sustained. And it's deceitful because we think that there's real fruit that's coming from it. But when the adversity or difficulty comes, you know, you sit under a teaching, there's an excitement that happens, you go get in your car, you're driving down the road, someone hits you, and you get out, and you know the message was on, hey, listen, you know, be careful with your words. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And the adversity, persecution comes, you're like, man, in the service, God really spoke to me, and you're telling brothers and sisters, and you're posting it online. You're like, I'm gonna be really careful with the things that I say. God ministered to me, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm a new man, I'm a new woman. <laughs> and, you, and you get out and you go through the intersection and someone bumps you from behind because they were, they were on their phone and not paying attention, and you get out and that message is gone. <laughs> That message is gone. They're like, hey, I'm so sorry, you know, I just had a really bad day and I got some really bad news. And, and you don't even let them finish their statement. The whole idea of being quick to listen and slow to speak is just out the door. And, and so, so oftentimes, listen, oftentimes we know how we're receiving the word of God based on how we respond to adversity, based on how we respond to adversity. When times get hard, when things are difficult, when persecution comes, does the seed that's been planted in your heart have enough root to survive? Because listen, the relationship that we have with God is absolutely amazing, but you know there's dry times. You know there are dry times. There are times where the, the spirit is not raining down on us and we don't feel well saturated with the work of the spirit in our life or maybe even the word seems dry to us. And in those moments, are our roots deep enough into the word of God that it will sustain us? Are we like that Psalm 1 man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night and is so like a tree planted by the rivers of water? So when the hard, time, when the hard times come, and they will come, we have a way to draw from the faithfulness of God. He goes on to say, Verse 18, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The, the third type of seed, of course, it's been illustrated by Jesus. This happens all the time. If you've tilled a garden, you know what this is like. You plant a seed, you're careful to nurture and to water, but if you're not watching, if you're not watching carefully, if you're not in the garden every day, you know weeds begin to grow and they consume and choke up all the nutrients. We use terminology like that with our kids. Man, he or she is growing like a weed. They just grow overnight. It happens overnight. And if you're in the agricultural world, you know that the weed will grow faster 
than the vegetable that you've planted. And so you always have to be tending to the soil, plucking the weed out by the root, right? Plucking it out by the root. Because if you don't, all of those nutrients will be consumed by those weeds, and the weeds will never bear fruit. And so what is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about, hey, it's, it's good soil, but the soil's not being tended, it's not being cared for. And in that person's life, from a spiritual point of view, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. This is a heart that's not single-minded towards God. It's a double-minded man or a double-minded woman, someone who's serving two masters. You got your foot in the world, you got your foot in the word, and you think that you can straddle the two at the same time. And the fact is you can't. You can't. In that place, the world will always win. The world will always win because you will accommodate and you will compromise. And there will be times where you try to cut the things off at the fruit and you'll never get to the root of it. And the root of compromise, getting to the root of compromise, is saying no once and for all. The word choked out means to be compressed so that there's no place for the good fruit to grow. And so tonight, obviously, man, we live in a world that is consistently, constantly pressuring us to be consumed and distracted by the deceitfulness of riches, by just the natural things that we have to deal with, so that sometimes it's hard for us. It's hard for us to really seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, walking by trust and faith, knowing that all those things that we really need, we don't need to obsess we don't need to orient our lives around them. Our value doesn't come through them. God will bring them to us in his time, in his way, and in his measure. Jesus said this, you know, as he's, he's talking about this issue of being double-minded, he, he wraps that up in Matthew 6 by saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in other words, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, drink, or your body, what you're gonna put on. The final the final seed, uh, excuse me, the final soil is, verse 20, but these are the ones sown on the good ground. Those who bear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. The final uh, type of soil, of course, is the heart that receives the word of God humbly, obediently, reverently, that is hungry for God and willing to change. I just want to end with this, this question. Really, I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves this question. It's not really about how good the teaching was. It's about how prepared my heart is. Sometimes we can sit and we're looking for something to receive and we're like, well, I didn't really get anything out of that. And it's less a statement on what was spoken and more a condition of our heart. Isaiah said this, he's talking about the beauty of God's creation. He says, for all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. We pray that you would help us to, to tremble at your word. We pray, God, that you would help us to have hearts that are tilled and prepared and ready to receive. God, we pray that you'd give us wisdom in our own lives. We are so good at judging how others respond to your word. And the truth is, 
Father, that we just need to be, we just need to be focused on ourselves. We need to be in, in a sense where, God, we're evaluating how we respond to your word and whether your word is really bearing fruit in our life or not. For we know, God, that we can, we can gather and assemble and attend and hear your word being taught. We can open up the scriptures in our devotional time, but, but truly, Lord, are we receiving your word with meekness and humility? Are we setting the standard for ourselves of obedience as the marker that does really truly define whether we're saying yes to you or whether we're saying no. And so God, search our hearts tonight, we pray, and help us, oh God, to be ready to believe and to be obedient to you. Tonight as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, maybe this evening you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and and I just wanna share with you tonight that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, but was purposed to die a sacrificial death. When Jesus hung on the cross, he hung there for you in your place. He took the, the, the justice of God that you and I deserved to experience for all eternity upon himself. He paid a penalty that we deserve to pay so that through faith in him, we could find forgiveness for our sins in a way that leads to the Father. And so tonight, maybe you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard the gospel message shared many times, but the reality is that 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 seed of the gospel found stony ground or maybe a heart that was hardened by pride or intellectualism and yet tonight you're ready to receive, you're ready to say yes. The soil of your heart is in a good place and you want to embrace the love of God. Tonight as our eyes are closed and as our heads are bowed, this evening if this is you, I wanna pray for you and I'm gonna ask you tonight just to simply raise your hand. Stretch your hand up high if you want to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and give me the opportunity to pray for you. God bless you and you. Thank you so much for raising your hands. And I see your hand in the back on my right. He loves you. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Awesome. Thank you. I see your hand. Maybe tonight as a Christian... The truth is this, your heart's just been in a hardened place or maybe the cares of this world have been choking out the fruit that God has desired to bring. And tonight you need that renewal of your heart. You wanna be in that place where your heart is hungry for God's word and that there's that real deep spiritual growth because your roots are going deep into God. Tonight maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. If this is you, would you raise your hand? I wanna pray for you tonight. Awesome, thank you, and thank you. So good, thank you, I see your hand. You can put your hands down. Father, thank you tonight, oh God, for these, and just pray this evening, Lord, that you would bless them as they take this step of faith 
And God, as they receive the work of your spirit that you have desired to do right here and right now in their lives. Tonight, as uh, our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, I wanna lead you this evening in this very simple prayer right where you're you're sitting. And uh, this is your response to God. This is evidence that you've received what God has spoken to you tonight. And so this evening, I want to give you an opportunity to pray to him, to confess your sin, uh, to confess your faith in Jesus Christ, and to have a new work of God's spirit happen in your life right now. And so right where you're sitting, you can follow me in this prayer. God, tonight, I receive your word. And I'm choosing obedience Choosing to believe in Jesus. Choosing to receive your forgiveness. Choosing to receive the gift of heaven. Choosing to follow. Christ is my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit. Renew my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.